This is Choni's Circle. I'm Tamara Lubicki. I'm Rabbi Paula Rose. And on Choni's Circle, we are going to explore Jewish texts from the Torah through the Talmud and lots of traditional commentaries to grapple with climate change, to help us process our emotions about climate change and about this particular moment, um, and to help us try to make sense of the world that we find ourselves in. We're going to start today with a text from the beginning of the book of Shemot of Moses's encounter with the divine at the burning bush. Moses has run away from Egypt to the land of Midian and while working as a shepherd there, he has this encounter. A messenger of Adonai appeared to him in a blazing fire out of a bush. He gazed, and there was a bush all aflame, yet the bush was not consumed. Really striking, I think, that we have this image of fire that's being used, it seems, to catch Moshe's attention and ultimately to spark, pun intended, a conversation with the divine. And a little bit of a teaser, but later in the Torah, we're going to have another encounter um, where Moses and God are going to be central characters, but this time also with the entire Israelite people at the foot of Mount Sinai. And some of the very same language is used to describe that event. So there it says the mountain is Bo'er Ba'esh, right? Those are the same words that we have describing the burning bush, ablaze with fire. And there we're told that the fire is Ad Lev Hashamayim, to the very, to the heart of the heavens, all the way up to the heavens. And in the story of the burning bush, God's presence is described as Belabat Esh, from the flame of the fire, but in some ways that has that, uh, hint also of lev, of the heart, there too. So, so very clear linguistic parallels in both of these stories about God's presence and an encounter between God and humanity happening in the context of burning fire. And I read in one of the commentaries that some people think Har Sinai, that word Sinai is the same as sne. Oh. So it's like the mountain of a lot of snes. <laughs> yeah, and there's certainly a tradition that these are happening also in the same place. That makes sense. I hadn't heard the Sinai-Sne comparison before, but the way these two stories are constructed, it's clearly meant for us to read one with echoes of the other and to sort of see these as almost two iterations of a similar story. Right, which... Funny enough, I had never realized before I started reading this passage for this podcast, I never realized that these two stories are parallel in that way. Yeah, well, they happen in different parts of the Torah. So right, we tend to read the Torah kind of chronologically, right? Start at the beginning and go to the end. So sometimes it, it can be easy to, to sort of miss those connections that happen not particularly close together. Right. Um, so Fire. 
vampire is trying to either catch the attention of Moshe, as you said. So he's like wandering around with some sheep, oblivious. (laughs) And suddenly there's this natural alarm, this fire, and he goes to check it out. In some ways, Sinai is the same and different in that it does feel like fire is one of the many tactics that's being used, right? There's lightning, and there's the sound of the shofar, and there's a lot of smoke. And it seems like all of that theatrics are not necessarily about getting the people to pay attention because they've already been told to prepare for three days and they're gathered around the foot of the mountain. It's clear that there are other things telling them to pay attention and that something important is going to happen. But it does seem like a very effective tool for cultivating awe (laughs) and perhaps a little bit of fear. Fire is. Yeah, at least on that scale, right? Perhaps a little bit less so in a burning bush. I'm not sure. Well, what I thought of when you were talking about this cultivating awe and you're at this mountain, you're here already, but you really need to pay attention to this. (laughs) What made me think about it is with Moshe versus the whole of B'nai Israel. To me, it's an illustration of this small group of people that was originally aware of climate change and really started working on it, and they had scientific basis for doing so. There was an early study, I think in the late 80s, where a scientist showed the trajectory and showed what the the consequences could be. And so a small group of people started to be very concerned. And now in 2022, everyone's concerned. <laughs> but what it took for the rest of us to really be on board was a large series of natural disasters. Right. So with Moshe, since he's already a person who has this attunement to God, I think, or something else innate in him which made him a leader or whatever was special about Moshe, he had one little bush that was burning, and that was enough for him to commit his life and to understand the importance of communicating with God and establishing this system with God. But for the people of Israel, besides having been corralled into a specific place, they also needed these majestic events or just like things you cannot turn away from, which is what we've had. Yeah. It also feels to me like a little bit of both a unifier and an efficiency mechanism, right? So if God had created a burning bush for each individual Israelite, you don't necessarily cultivate the same sense of shared purpose of like, we're all coming out of a shared experience and embarking on this project together. And that to me seems like something really central, both for working together to fight climate change and also for embarking on the project of becoming the Jewish people, right? Neither of those are individual activities. And also to have this encounter and convince each Israelite one person at a time, you know, even for God, (laughs) I would imagine, is slow, Right. That takes time. And there's something really different about being able to bring along a whole group at once, which isn't to dismiss the importance of one on one outreach. And sometimes that 
is tremendously effective in a way that the mass event isn't, but it's really resource intensive. Right. And I think with Moshe, what really caught his attention was that the burning bush was burning, but it was not consumed. Mm-hmm. And in a way, having the mountain be the thing which catches on fire is similar. Like, all these crazy things can happen to the mountain, and it stays a mountain. Yeah, it's actually, like, a really interesting question. I don't think I've ever read anything about, like, what does Mount Sinai look like the day after? Right? So it seems pretty clear that the bush is the same. (laughs) Right? The whole point is that the bush is not consumed. So, like, I would imagine that that means it was on fire and then... Eventually, God's presence left after this exchange with Moshe, and then, like, the bush returned to exactly the way it was just before that conversation. And I don't know, like, maybe that's true of Mount Sinai also, right? Is it just this really intense moment that then there's, like, not a trace of afterwards, or is there some kind of lasting impact there? Right. I don't know. Yeah, that's very interesting. So with the burning bush and with Mount Sinai, we were also talking beforehand about talking about the idea of wildfires and prescribed burns, controlled Mm -hmm. burns. So there's this idea that a lot of the really big wildfires that are millions of acres have had such a wide area because smaller fires hadn't been allowed to burn for decades. So there's this idea that a smaller fire might naturally occur from lightning. And just to go on a tangent, I believe lightning was also at Harsinai, that thunder and lightning happened. So I feel like there's a certain segment of people who like to like put a little natural spin on the miracles of Mm -hmm. the Torah. Mm -hmm. So you could say... In nature, lightning causes fire. So we have the lightning at Mount Sinai and then the fire. But to go back to my earlier thing about controlled burns, lightning will often cause a natural fire. And so fires have actually been happening naturally throughout history. And nowadays, or at least for the past 100 years or so, we've had this policy from a federal level, but also a local level, to stop fires as soon as we can. So what happens is this detritus, like leaves and branches, build up and actually provide more fuel to huge fires that start. And there's a strategy for reducing the number of huge fires or the area of the fire And the strategy is having a series of small fires. And those fires will actually burn the dead leaves and the dead branches, but leave the trees intact. And the trees, the large trees actually continue growing after that. However, they won't catch on fire as quickly. Right. So this idea of the sne, the the bush, it's on fire, but it's not consumed. That really resonated with this idea of the controlled fire, that the trees have fire around them, but they actually survive and continue growing. I think it's an important reminder also of the ways that fire can be both destructive and generative. And so 
we're trained to notice and pay attention to fire because fire is dangerous, right, and can be destructive, right? One of the first things that we learn as children is stop, drop, and roll. You know, fire drills in schools and things like that, right? We're really trained to notice fire and to pay attention because of the dangerous potential. And we've certainly seen that with some of these massive, horrifically destructive wildfires. But I think what Moshe catches on to here is that there is also fire that allows for new growth, right? And allows for this new chapter in the Torah to begin, right? It's this moment, really, that the exodus from Egypt begins with Moshe noticing a fire um, and stopping to pay attention. And that's true of these smaller fires as well that, like, actually create the conditions for new growth by clearing out all of this dead detritus that both, I think, if I understand <laughs> if I understand correctly, right, both is potentially damaging in that it allows these bigger wildfires to spread more quickly, but also just prevents the soil from being regenerated um, and other things that get in the way of new growth. Yeah, there are some wildflowers that will only sprout from their seeds after a fire. And there are some mushrooms also that appear after a fire. So it's definitely part of the natural process. I'm Rabbi Paula Rose, the Associate Rabbi of Congregation Beth Shalom in Seattle. This podcast is a project of Congregation Beth Shalom and Ahavat Ve'avodat Adama, our community's environmental group. Choni's Circle was recorded in Seattle, Washington at Full Track Productions. It was produced by Tamara Labicki and Dave Dintenfass. With original music by Ella Labicki Feldman. Thanks for listening and learning with us.